Welcome to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast, hosted by Peter O'Toole, sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. Today on The Microscopists. Today on The Microscopists, I'm joined by Jean-Yves Tinevez from Institut Pasteur, and we discuss why he finds supporting other researchers at an imaging core facility so rewarding. Sometimes you know, he would call me and say, Jean-Yves, the microscope doesn't work and that would make me incredibly happy. I would you know, run or even roller skate to the elevator, go down to the microspacity and arrive you know, literally like this, show me what doesn't work. And then you know, I was at the time I say, okay, if I have to sample a job for one day, I realize it must be something related to techniques, support or technology. I cannot have a career if I'm only happy when the microscope doesn't work. His love of comic books. Yeah, in France, it's, uh, it's very good. There are a lot of authors that are excellent nowadays. And the, the, the stories they produce are incredible, no, no, novator and everything. It's, if you're into comics right now, there's really a good, good, good literature to read and so on. It's, it's passionating. But it's also very expensive and it takes really a lot of space. And why he loves using Twitter to disseminate his research, or should we say using X to disseminate his research. The tone that you get to use in Twitter is make it amenable to, to speak about you know, your personal story, your view on the paper, like taking risks. Like, so this is not something you would put in a review, for instance on the paper at all. Just say, okay, this is what this work means for me. All in this episode of The Microscopist. Hi, welcome to this episode of The Microscopist. I'm Peter O'Toole from the University of York. And today I'm joined by Yannis Tidemes from Pasteur. Yannis, how are you today? I am fantastic. Thank you so much, Pete. Hello, everyone. I've got to say, I'm, I, I spoke too fast at that intro. I'm actually really excited to be recording with you today. Uh, I met you, oh, gosh, many years ago, maybe 2001, 2002 in Pasteur? No, it's unlikely. I started working in Pasteur in 2009. I think we met in 2012 during one of the RMS events with Spencer. I was traveling with him in his pocket. No, it must have been. I thought I met he did a car, he did a meeting, and I'm sure you were at the meeting in Pasteur. Okay. Was in okay. Paris. Was it? But but Spencer's so old now that I can't <laughs> believe it was that recent. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Spencer's gonna listen to this, isn't he? Wait, wait, wait. You're speaking <laughs> my boss. <laughs> respect. <laughs> so go on, why don't we start with Spencer? I and in our careers, there's always inspirational people, people who lead the field and drive them forward and their influence. I, 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 I'd be presuming that Spencer has been a very big influence on your career. Actually, before Spencer, there was Ivan Baines in the Max Planck Institute in Dresden. Just before joining Spencer in Paris, I was working there as a core facility engineer. And, you know, Ivan Baines is the person that recruited me. So when I had to leave like Dresden to go to Paris, actually, I was looking for the Ivan Baines of, the, of Paris in a, and for me, that was, you know, Professor Spencer Short. <clears throat> what was Spencer like to work for? Awesome. Like, really inspiring. And he's, you know, he has this ability to encourage you when you have weird ideas or things like this. He says, hey, you know, let's go forward. He also like an incredible charisma. You know, the, 
Working in a co-facility can be like stressful. There's a lot of job that never finishes. But he always have like, every time he speaks or voice something, he has this voice that says, you're good. Everything's going to be okay. We will manage together. And he can you know, imbue on a team like a sense of trust, which is amazing. And well, that's like, it's to work with him, right? Also what's surprising, but you probably noticed because you interviewed him like a couple of uh, months ago, I think, is very cultured and you know, you can have like a good and deep discussions about philosophy, for instance, with him. And so I was amazed that, you know, the, 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 the breadth of his knowledge like ranges really also far from science. That's, 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 that's kind of And His impacts are far. Obviously he had one of the first proper big core facilities and then made it a multi-core facility by wrapping more into it as, as we've done at York, but Spencer was just a year ahead of us. Uh, so it's quite nice following through that, but also with Stratical and PPMS. Oh, and a lot of people won't know that Spencer was behind that, one of the key protagonists to, 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 to develop that, one of the directors of the company. <clears throat> so you spent time in Spencer's core. So, so you, I, should, I should actually say, actually, for those who don't know your background, I, and I was going to say you're not a microscopist, which you'd be deeply insulted by. You are now more known for your image analysis side. So how did you get into the image analysis side? Well, you said, well, you're right to say that I'm not a microscopist, right? I'm a physicist and then I, by trade, I was even supposed to be a teacher. And then I just started to do biology because it was super interesting, right? And there was a microscopy image analysis or signal processing, you know, that was mainly the tools I needed to master just for my research and so on. And so the, I think this is like common to many people that work in core facility or research engineers, like you know, all our domain and so on. It may not be what we come from, like for instance, as a, someone who do research on image processing, this is the techniques and the technology we had to master to do research and so on. And simply, you know, that's, that's how I came to it. I simply had to do it a lot because of my research on biological objects and so on. I could return I, you the question, were you trained initially as a microscopist? Uh, because I had to use a mic. I, I hated microscopy when I started using a microscope. Actually, I loathed it. it was, I'd only played with or used really bad microscopes. And it wasn't until I looked down a really good microscope and realized I could use it well, that then I sort of fell in love with it. But I, and I used to have to do loads of image analysis. Uh, Ian Morrison was a postdoc in the lab who made his own point spread fitting software to do single molecule imaging and point spread fitting down to 20 nanometers. And I spent weeks literally clicking on the spots. It's some automated analysis, but this was back in the early 90s. Don't date me that on mid 90s. So it was quite early on on that side. But image analysis is not something, I, I, I was happy to move away from the image analysis side where you've embraced it. You certainly found your vocation, I presume, in image analysis. Because it's incredibly fun, like, and fulfilling, actually. The, ah, what can I say that, right? The, the, if you start from the microscope, right? The microscope is a fantastic tool of research. And the, the, the insight you get on the biology is unique, right? You get the single object, you get the dynamic at an incredible scale. But if you're, let's say that you're into machines, if you like, 
like really the businesses, how things work, how people build interesting things. The microscope is that too, right? It's a fantastic object of study in itself. And uh, when you get a good microscope, you know, from any companies, they're actually the product of, in my humble opinion, like what we produce, the people we produce the best, people that are excellent engineers, that are extremely clever, they manage to do that. And so I was interesting in the, interested in you into what you can get with a microscope, but also what, you, what it is itself. The connection in image analysis was the same, right? The, the, let's say it's, a, I do it to serve, to support. Sometimes in your previous interview, I think you discussed with supporting, yeah. I remember that. I do that to support you know, my users, biology and so on, but it's, it's a field of research like image processing. But for me, like, you know, it's a, it's a pass into a computer or programming languages or like image analysis algorithms that are also incredibly clever, like the, 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 the level of intelligence you can discover in that, just looking how people create or program things, it's incredibly thrilling. And once you know, you put your little finger in that, you get vacuum inside it. It's very, very hard to go back. It's incredibly fulfilling. And like the fact that you can, you don't have to depend on the presence of a microscope to let's say, have fun with the computer. It's hard to go back. <clears throat> I, I would say almost the ultimate collaborator because lots of people need that help. Uh, there's, there's something to be said. I think that so often you look down a microscope and it's grunt work. You, you're not taking the prettiest picture because you have to make it a scientifically, scientifically good quality picture, which is not necessarily the prettiest. Yes. And actually, you're, you're right to a degree. Sometimes you see something in the image for the first time that no one's ever seen and you discover something. That moment is magical. But I bet you nine-tenths of the magic is when the data analysis shows you that the information is there and that the result is there. And immediately you do it again because you don't trust it. <laughs> well, the heterogeneity in biology is one that we that is nice to embrace because I think that's what makes it interesting and, and challenging. So when you were a school, at school, you know, what was the first, your earliest memory? What was the first job that you could you remember wanting to be? Ah, teacher, clearly. So right yeah. from a young, young age, you wanted to be a teacher. What type of teacher? Well, I was supposed to be the teacher of the village, right? Uh, where uh, in my region and so on, but you know, uh, one thing leading to another, that, that's, that's kind of the result, right? I think the, 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 the school after the baccalaureate or where I went actually was supposed to train teachers and researchers. And you know, I did everything I do, everything I could, sorry, to become a teacher. In France, there's this, uh, everything works with competitive exams of concours, maybe you've heard about yeah. it. Yeah. And there was this concours de l'agrégation to become you know, a teacher. But um, and then I passed it and I was lucky, it worked. But when I went to receive the results and decide where I would teach in September, the, the gentleman from the Ministère de l'Education told me like, okay, so you're like 21, you're supposed to teach people that are 19, 20, something like this. Do you see the problem? And then I said, yes, I see very much the problem. Then ask him if I could, you know, continue into doctoral studies, you know, just actually to, to, to get, to get granted, to get experience. So I had a taste for that. 
like you know physics and actually i started biophysics already at the time that was like super interesting i didn't want it to stop like the idea of you know being relatively young and starting a career that would be a straight line to retirement was a kind of daunting uh, sincerely yeah. and then like the PhD was like completely unknown territory for me. So I asked, you know, for a delay and says, I would like to do doctoral and postdoctoral studies for some time. Is it okay? And then it was okay. And I was missioned by the minister to do that. But that's the initial goal when I was a young person was to teach. So what was your first, what was your PhD in? My PhD is in biophysics, actually on a field that would be close to neuroscience. I was working in the Institut Curie in the lab of Pascal Martin, and we were working on the inner hair cells, you know, the, the cells that mediate our hearing, but also our spatial orientation, the detection of, of vibration from the ground. And you know, this was hardcore physics. Like, uh, this, this is what was so exciting. That's another story, right? Let's see. What was the biological samples you were using? Frogs. <laughs> that was my first by the rana alors rana esculenta i think that's not the one on did on which i did most of my experiments the one that worked really well for us was rana cabestina that's frogs that are relatively large typically coming from south america but i think they're kind of parasitic in uh, south of france nowadays and with pascal we actually tried to catch some of well, not to catch but to um, they say to have a collaboration with people that were uh, supposed to catch them. And, but uh, that was interesting, let's say that. So this was my first biological sample, right? The, like before that, I was only doing like physics, where you did, you know, with photons, electrons, materials, everything's fine. Then the big switch was like, okay, you have a frog, yeah. deal with ah, it. Now you sent me some pictures and it's just, just dropped on me. That this must have been your PhD because this uh, uh, the one picture of this looks like a, an artificial ear. This I is, think. but I was much much younger. Okay, so this was uh, I was an undergrad intern, so I was still studying physics. And at the time, actually, and the field I wanted to work on was acoustics. I was fascinated by you know sound, speech, and uh, music actually, and I wanted to work on that. And I wanted to say, okay, if I have to do physics, I want to do it as far as I can go into acoustics. So for one of the internship, I went to Australia in the lab of Joe Wolf. That's, this is the lab where you see me. And this is Rainta, a PhD student in the lab. Then we are working on your, uh, what do you call that? Impedance adapter for actually sound measurements. And after that, another part of the internship was actually to measure the, let's say the spectrum sensitivity on the angle of perception, like, you know, just to try to assess or you can understand where the noise is coming from, even if you just have one here or something like this. I was very young on that. I still had hair. I, I, I concur you look very young on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was you know, the thousand, something like this, right? 23 years ago. I know your impedance model that you have actually could be a building in today's world. Well, other people have made other kind of joke on this, but the total length of this thing, I think, was like 28 meters or something like this. And the shape that you see at the bottom of the table, right, to feel exact a certain shape uh, so that, you know, the, 
the waves will go there without any kind of reflection and so on. And so you had to do everything by hand. That was nice. So you moved from the, the from the sound wave to the light wave. So do, do you remember what your first microscope was that you used? Perfectly. Uh, like expert from, apart from studies, you mean the PG? It was uh, Olympus, but heavily tuned to actually uh, play with the hair cells of the, the inner hair. And so that the microscopy part was actually the cool one, which means that you know you could move uh, from the frog to the let's say the cochlea of the frog. And uh, this step was a kind of messy and difficult for me. But you know, when you sit on the microscope with the sample, everything is under control. And so here, what we were doing is that, you know, a hair cell, it's a, let's say, a, it resembles, I would say, a globulet cells, except that there's, you know, hairs, actin and microtubule hair protruding from that about you know, maybe like five to 10 microns. And with the glass fibers under the microscope, I was, you know, deflecting these hair cells just to like, generate force, measure force, and so on. And so the microscope was heavily modified to project the shadow of the fiber onto a detector that would have a high speed higher than the camera responses. And with a bunch of fantastic electronic, just to integrate that and a feedback loop and a PIDs to stabilize everything. Plus inject at the same time, you know, like a calcium chelator or calcium indicators, all of them controlled in the end by a computer. And I was, I was feeling very geeky, like in a big anechoic room controlling like the biology for me that was magical right this is the process of life but everything built around that you know, with optical electronics and everything i was really cool really tough as well so, which is amazing actually to hear so you know i know you for all your image analysis side of work but this mm -hmm. is hardcore it i wouldn't even call it hardcore microscopy it is hardcore biophysics <laughs> and bespoke instrumentation optimizing for sampling types no and that, that's a different skill again but a perfect sort of phd postdoctoral type material i feel like you're trying to, to nail a specialty something very narrow but you know i'm a research engineer ultimately you know the institute pastor what we strive even if we organize you know, small core facilities and so on is to publish good paper and make fantastic science and so I'm just a tool or a means of that. It doesn't matter what my specialty, as long as I advance biology. And you know, signal processing, microscopy, electronics at the time, and now image analysis, these are tools. These are you know, just the, the skills I have and I nurture to support the researcher with which I collaborate. All of them, for me, you know, it's just one big thing and so on. That's you know, a set of skills with which we could work together. <clears throat> I've got to ask. And it is a daunting thing. So you're in a core facility and someone comes along with a, with a problem. And then I'm happy. It's like, <laughs> well, well, I'm thinking, I don't know how to solve that. I, you haven't got a straight answer. You know, you kind of, you want to give straight answers. You want to have solutions really quickly. And sometimes people come with, with problems that look very tangible. But the answer isn't immediate. How, how, how do you cope with those moments? I don't. The, 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 the one thing is that people expect from us, you know, best, uh, not probably best results, you know, this is science. We don't know the answer in advance, but let's say best effort. The one thing, like, I don't know, Pete, if you are used to work with core facilities, but this is great, generally, I would strongly advise, is that, you know, you, you go 
to these persons, research engineers with problems, you know, and it's their duty, their work and their specialty to help you with them and to say, I don't know, let's try something or I know, I know what, you can, what we can do together and so on. I think like the, the I mean, this is, you know, my job is really core facilities like microscope, image analysis and so on, it's all good, but the, the main, say the main specialties I would say I have is that, right? I am, and you know, all the people that work with me under these walls and so on, we have the same, I would say, pattern. We are super happy when you know, our collaborators have difficulties and problems. We marry their problems. And this is what we strive, like we, we really are motivated by helping others, not so much by you know, the science or the stories we could write ourselves, the main, let's say, happiness in work we find out is that you know, when someone has an innovative problems, we can work in, and that would invite on that. Janice, I, I was talking to someone, who was it today, actually, I'm talking about this type of role. And I, and I said, it must be they said it must be really hard, really challenging. I said, actually, I think compared to an academic career, I'm not saying our job is easy. You make it as hard as you want to. You, you put the challenges there. But we are the ultimate collaborators. Yes. You know, we're the ultimate co-eyes co-authors you know and yes oh come on we know your publications track mates everything else but ultimately we are a, 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 a pi to hire to collaborate with a post uh, the teams of postdocs to hire to collaborate with because they have specialities that they love to apply to different challenges and you know how hard do you find it recruiting people it's it's I would say rather difficult, but I've been very lucky so far. The, okay, because you want to find, you want to search in people two things, right? Of course, skills. The, the, the one thing is that you want to, let's say, improve, accelerate, but also really improve the research of your collaborators. So it's a good idea if you recruit people that have skills that do not exist in a normal biology lab. So for instance, me, I'm looking people who are good with computers, good with mathematics, good with programming, good, of course, with image analysis, right? That's not good enough because the, the, the job can be tough. Like, you know, all these post-it, these are user requests and ongoing projects in the facility. And there's a lot. And so you need to find, you know, let's say a subset of people that are really motivated by the problems of others that are really into support and we exist. I postulate it and uh, well, I'm one of them, but. I, I'm going to point out for those listening uh, that Johnny's just panned to his window and there must be, I don't know, 30 post-its there. Just as a quick guess, there's a lot of post-its there. Uh, the irony that you develop software packages for tracking cells, for doing image analysis, for ordering data, and you resort to post-it notes on your window. Do not worry. I also have, you know, something tidy in my PPMS instance, and I also have a code repository. But sometimes, you know, you need things to be analog and uh, you need like something tangible. In particular, when you do only computer, you need to compensate that. Yes. This was the worst professional ID I had, because now we are a little bit better. But, you know, a while ago, we were really, really severely understaffed. And uh, at some point, I say, okay, we have a lot of requests. I want to keep an eye on them. And so I just say, okay, we put a post-it per project request, <clears throat> arrange them differently on the window, depending on what's the state and who's responsible. 
And so there was really a lot. And my mistake was that, you know, my window just in front of the entrance of Pasteur. And so the first thing I would see in the morning is the big oh, bunch of <laughs> oh, my goodness. waiting for me in the office. Right? And it's been like this every day. And you know, coming back from the canteen, I says, all, every time I see the number of post-its and they never, we never managed to bring them below acceptable, I say, reasonable limits and so on. I, you'd never want it to be zero because then there's no job. I also noticed looking around your office, you have, and I've, I've spoken to you this in the past, small Dutch houses on uh, your shelf. You know where they come from. No, no, tell, go on. They come from a famous and actually excellent company that provides a scientific software. Go on. Can I tell you, it's CTSR, the SVI, the makers of Oregon's. A very good scientist, very good company, and I'm lucky to receive the windows. So that's the one I received as an IH, but before that, when I was with Spencer's facility, I had them and so on. Ah, so you need to tell them, like, there you go, SBI, Huygens, if you're listening to this, Yannis is missing a house. He but, needs really? one of these little Dutch houses. But I, I've got to say, I'm a huge fan of them. Uh, <laughs> whenever I go to the Netherlands, I will, I will bring one home. And... I had a Dutch pen pal, uh, and he would always bring one over as a gift when he came over. Uh, but since then, when I go there, I'll still pick one up. Uh, when I he, he passed away last year, but I was over there recently, uh, and actually, again, so I met his wife, uh, his mother, and I bought a house as well and brought that back. And, and my mantelpiece at home, uh, above the fire, has a has, has a, a village worth, I think it's getting bigger and bigger. I think too, for us, I was, it's a tangible measure of our careers, right? There's five houses, it means five years as a client for them since like the facility creation and so on. If I would put them next to the houses I went when I was working for Spencer, that would be long and I would say, so that's the length of my career in Pasteur and God, it's long. And you know, it's something, Tangible again. Yannis, I'm going to move this on slightly now and talk about Trackmate. Um, okay. Very popular for. And I, I, I'm going to say just very quickly. So we published reach, uh, recently with Selfie uh, and we came to you for help because we had some really tough reviewer comments. Uh, one of the reasons of this series, actually, Beth Zimody, uh actually declared herself as one of the reviewers for that. And she actually said this was beautiful. You know, she gave us a hard time to make sure the users of the app had an easy time. <laughs> and that was such a beautiful message to put on it. But it was tough. And I'm not an image analyst. And I'm not a software writer, nor is Will. The PhD student, uh, Laura, is a PhD student. So this is her first publication. It was a big publication. So we came to you for advice. And your advice was absolutely gold dust. And it really significantly helped us address what we needed to address and how to address the reviewers. So thank you for that. So thank you off me. But have you ever had problems publishing Trapmate? Not so much, actually. The, actually, oh yes, I had a lot of problems, actually. I started working on Trapmate in 2011, I think 2010, relatively early when I was working in Spencer. It was mainly, the goal was to make a tool that I could use for my research again, like working for Spencer. And it took, just because I'm a 
to be frank, I'm a terrible writer. And uh, I, I feel like, you know, the drive to write is not very strong with me. The drive to program is stronger. And so every time, you know, I kept adding stuff to TrackMate, I was using it in the facility for other projects and so on. It started growing, 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 but I never could publish it at all. And just when we started collaborating with Kevin Elicieri, yeah, too, Kevin is actually an excellent writer. He said, well, you know, why don't you spend some time with us in Madison and then we will work on the TrackMate publication, for instance, trying to showcase how we could work. So I started working with Curtis Royden at the time on this, and that this is how it happens. But the the review were were actually, I would say I was impressed, like pretty, pretty good. People realized that you know it was not a novel tracking algorithms, mainly let's say a tracking platform and so on. And the comments we had on the biological applications were, were very good. It just took me like eight years or so to have the first publication, and that's a terrible mistake. I'm doing this mistake again, by the way, just as we speak now. Like I've been working a lot with Tobias and other fantastic people on Mastodon, which is still not published, but still used you know, by others in publications that cannot cite Mastodon at all. So really, don't do what I do. Write early. <laughs> I, don't, but... don't make the same mistake. It's a big mistake. I'm going to say also, it's not just the fact when you when you publish, you also tweet out almost the paper. And that is super useful. I, that, that's such a good way to disseminate it so people know it's available to use. It's been like, I'm partial to that. I think it's a really great platform for us scientists. Uh, the tone that you get to use in Twitter is make it amenable to, to speak about you know, your personal story, your view on the paper, like taking risk. Like this is not something you would put in a review, for instance, on, on a paper at all. You just say, okay, this is what this work means for me. This is why I think it's important and completely subjective and so on. And again, you know, we are very lucky because apparently Twitter, with all due respect, right, it's starting to get down. I also, initially, that was my, my personal account. I was using it to follow like people that write comic books because I like comic books a lot. And uh, they tell me that you know, what they see in Twitter, the followers and so on, highly toxic. It's a really nasty social network. But us, for scientists, the scientific part of Twitter is really fantastic. It's really respectful that the values that people promote there, like you know, equality, uh, uh, diversity, and so on, inclusion, Inclusiveness is really good. There's very like voices that are conservative and so on. It's very refreshing. So before 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 we started the interview, you know, we, we spoke about like venting procedures for scientists, like when you need to vent when you know the, the pressure. Mm -hmm. the, wow, like, and so Twitter has this kind of 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 use, right? You use it to kind of normalize and say, oh, that's nice. I'm not the only one having difficulties. Oh, people are also annoyed with you know these administrative procedures and so on. I really like that. It's it's a pity that it's. I feel like kind of getting downwards, downwards nowadays. And it's like no, I, you I, get I, to speak about. I wish okay to be frank. I wish sometimes I would do it about papers by others. I can say this paper is fantastic and this is what it means for my career and so on. I never dare because you know it's not my paper, it's not my work and so on. But uh, maybe in the future, I know this would be I, But I've seen people tweet about TrackMate 
do you publish that other people come on the back of it once you publish it then people come on the back of it and say how great it is for them and showing the applications which is great i i think I, I i live a very sheltered twitter life because i only really look at scientific content and so I, every now and then you'll see I guess Twitter bait, where it's something that's a bit more toxic. I just ignore them. I don't touch it. I try and scroll off it quickly so it doesn't even pause on it. And it just filters out. And over time, it disappears and it does make it. So just make sure you keep, keep clicking on what you'd like to see when it yeah. comes to science. Uh, keep yourself rounded by all means, but keep looking at it. I, I think it's a, still a fantastic resource. And it helped me learn more about TrapMate. Uh, I'm going through it. So I, no, it's good. So you didn't have too many problems. It was just actually writing that was the problem a itself. Story. Like, you know, making a story about a tool. This is tough, right? Because the the, <clears throat> the typical way we build tools is, is the following, right? I started like from Mastodon, Mammoth, everything we worked on, it always started the same. Like we have a biological problem and so on. We need to do some image analysis. And what take, what you know what's available as tools does not fully make the job. So we have to build the tool. And then there's come another project, and the, the, the tools kind of get further and further, uh, better and better. Or let's say not necessarily better, but let's say more amenable to a wide range of projects. But how do you write a story with that? It's it's kind of difficult. I don't have a, I don't have very seldom good ideas how to write a story about a tool that is super useful, hopefully, but you know, this is publishing like scientific paper is still about that, right? What's the biological story behind that? Yeah, no, you're right. Here's a tool, use it. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's like, but you know, what's your intro to it? Well, there's a problem, but then the discussion actually, well, it's here, use it. So you have to, I guess, use different. Well, you look, you publish successfully in Nature Methods of TrackMate and stuff. You get there, but it isn't because there's a there, because you know there's a category for that. Yeah, yeah, and which is where actually Nature Methods has been fantastic, hasn't it? And uh, I think Rita at Nature Methods has really helped the imaging community. May uh, I was about to show it in French, but yes, absolutely. The the impact not only Rita, not only Nature Methods. But on our field, particularly like quantitative imaging, let's say that you know everything at the corner of microscopy to image analysis, computing, computational biology, everything. The, the let's say the, the 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 aura of editors and journals about that has been fantastic. It really pushed you know the first it pushed the, the domain forward, but also made it super friendly. I'm super happy to say, okay. You're a young PhD, young postdoc, you want to start a career in biomedicine, come. It's super friendly, really respectful. You will have a great time with us. And by the way, everybody knows everyone. Uh, that is true. Uh, actually, I've, I've got, uh, there was a picture somewhere. Can I find, look, it, it is a, this is not obviously the whole community, but this is some of the community. So you've got Koto, you've got Sebastian there, you've got teaching to a course with all the PCs, they're teaching the courses, networking people together. And it is a small community. I, I like the picture at the bottom because I can replace you and look like I'm the clever one we go to and Seb. So this is your Perrine-Paul Giroto, Fabrice Cordelier, myself with her at the time and Julien Colombelli on the top, uh, top, uh, sorry, bottom left, uh, bottom Perrine and Julien Colombelli. That's one of the first new BIAS yeah. conference. And at the time, 
I think Julien is trying to explain to me what new new bias is going to be, and whether or not I feel I fit in and so on. So what is going on for those who do know what new bias is? What is it? Very quickly. No, I can't. Ah, oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> okay. New bias. Okay, you see, started you know with the gentleman you see on the top right, Kotam Yura. The time working in the MBA, he organized you know, several courses around image analysis and with a, let's say, unique point of view. We say, you know, image analysis for biologists. You made image analysis as a technique to advance biology, not image processing. And he was creating this UBS, European Bioimage Analysis. Right? And he was very successful. Kota, you know, is really a visionary. He has a vision. He will just, he will not just teach, he will make sure that you know what teaching means and uh, our different ways and so on. And uh, he was able to put, you know, to inspire many people, uh, including the clique, and you know, which is partly represented at the bottom. And say, let's make a network of us, like as an emerging, let's say, set of technology that would be network of European bioimage analysts. And we were funding by you know, uh, the sea and the cost actions, which, which we could organize your know, schools that were kind of famous and very animated, but also conferences. And this really, let's say, kicked off bioimage analysis for me and I think you know, for, for the community in Europe. And, and honestly, that was fantastic. And now getting, because it sort of had that, uh the funding dropped it was hard to keep together but that's back and new bias is going global slowly yes it's not just europeans anymore welcome into new bias it is a, a bigger entity which is terrific who's it who's funding that right now it's the czi chan zuckerberg initiative and there was a grant for like a, a focus on communities in imaging and actually uh, the project is led by uh, Robert Hazer and Kota again. And that's going to be the Sobias. And we will build, when I say we, I mean them, huh? we will build a big, let's say, community or let's say association for bioimage analysis and so on. And this time, because of the funding, we don't have to limit ourselves to Europe. But actually, we never limited ourselves to Europe. Like Beth Chimini, she was an you know, uh, early heavy contributor yeah. to Nubias. We also had a lot of guests from Australia. And uh, it, it always worked beautifully. But now, you know, with this new funding, now we really must not limit ourselves to Europe, which is even more exciting, I think. And anyone who listens to these podcasts will have heard Chan Zuckerberg many times over. And I think my, all science is international. You know, we, we shouldn't be competing against each other, but working together. But most of our funders are national funders that support national. And there are some efforts to go broader, but for obvious reasons, taxpayers' money needs to stay fairly local. The likes of Chan Zuckerberg have been transformative, I would say, for the imaging community, or start starting to transform the microscopy and scientific community in what they're supporting. And it's just, I just thought it was worth a good sh shout out. I, Stephanie Ott has been a guest in, guest in the past for Caesar. I'm a big fan. Like the, we've been very lucky also because you know they they <laughs> they chose they chose to put pressure on imaging, which is really fantastic. Imaging communities, image analysis, the the really the I think it's like science and biology really benefit from that, right? More I'm time. gonna ask you some quick questions because we will run out of time if I'm not careful. 
How many different countries have you worked in? You've worked in Australia, you've worked in Germany, obviously you work in France. Any others? Just no, those two. Okay, so uh, France or Germany, what's better? Sorry? France or Germany, where is the best country to work in? That's a tough question because I would say Germany. Oh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> Germany or Australia? Germany. So at least you keep a European passport, but you just lost your French passport. Uh, uh, I'm good. <laughs> you work like, in Pasteur. You just said Germany's better. No, no. The, for, honestly, like if you ask any of my colleagues, I'm really happy with Pasteur. Like the, the, the Pasteur people, they use me to publicize Pasteur. It's a great place to work. Honestly, the, 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 I have a beautiful campus. The people I work with is, are awesome. Like we organized like three weeks ago, a biomedical analysis course with the people from the high performance computing, fantastic people. The resources we have are awesome. We could teach in a room that was beautiful in the settings that's incredible. Pasta is really fantastic. And I also know that they enabled you to start up an imaging analysis core. Yes. Which, <laughs> which was then, then almost unheard of. <clears throat> so no, I, I, know, I know where your heart is, don't worry. I, I am teasing. <laughs> the, 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 like I come from a small village, like, you know, I think like 60 inhabitants and so on. My sister and I were the, the smallest one. The, and so, you know, Paris, it's really a big city. And now, now I'm okay with it. You know, it's a fantastic city now because you can bicycle everywhere and it's very relaxed. But in Dresden, you had that's such an incredibly beautiful city. That's the main reason I accepted to do a postdoc because the city is incredibly nice. And in Dresden, I was a foreigner and everybody were kind to us. The Max Planck Institute, it's a fantastic building. This is where I had my first facility. It was the image processing facility at the time. And you know, this is an institute gave me my chance. Like I was you know, just a, a random postdoc, not perfectly skilled, but they gave me my chance. And they put inspiration for us, like supporting science, supporting others. They could put this together. And so I really have a fond souvenir of Dresden, but I was not there for very long. I always try to keep collaborating with people there so that I could visit, but it's such a fantastic city. But, you know, I said Germany because I'm in France. Like, if I would be working in Germany, probably I would say the otherwise because I'm French and I like to complain about the situation. <laughs> and, and just a call, a call out to your, this is your current team, isn't it, I presume? Partly, yes. So here you see from left to right, yours truly, Stéphane Rigaud, uh, Laura Xena, who's courageous and brave PhD student, Marvin Albert, Gaël Lothor. Gaël, actually, she's an image analyst, but not working in my team. She's working for a department, but we do almost everything together. This is Son and this is Sheriff, uh, intern and so on. It's nice, no? Again, I'm really incredibly lucky. You have no idea how lucky I am. <laughs> I, I, I think we're all... Like, the, 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 okay, so... So next yeah, quick question. I was super stressed by your invitation. And then when you ask photographs, I had to dig through my photographs and that was really a weird feeling. But then when I see them now, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is cool. Uh, we have a cool place. Uh, and and your team that get cool. Doing a fantastic job with fantastic people. We are incredibly lucky. <laughs> I, have the next, I have the next quick fire question. Sorry. 
Image J on Lapari. I'm the old <laughs> boss, so I would go for Image J because oh, I yeah. people going from Napari, it's covered by the young ones. And you know, I'm going to be obsolete someday, and then Napari mm -hmm. will approve. Do you think you'll ever make the jump to Napari from Image J? Yeah, but it's not my work. It's some someone else's work. You're not that old yet. You're very kind. You're very kind, Pete, but you're also a little bit blind. <laughs> I've got a high-definition high monitor. I know exactly. This is something we could discuss, right? I see the, the dichotomy between Python and Java. It, it has like a funny impact on our work in the facility, but that's a long and boring discussion. <clears throat> my, my position is that you know, the people next to me, they work beautifully. All of them are very good in Python. And then I've said, okay, that's good, that's covered. So, you know, I can still do Java so that we covered approximately everything. Do you think that the likes of ChatGPT will help you convert your JavaScript to Python? And so you can actually just have your image J script and just convert it into an Apari script. I'm actually using a lot of Python, right? And let's say, let's say now one quarter of the user project I do, I do them with Python. It's fantastic. But also, I do a lot of administrative duties with Python. So, you know, I'm not that separated and so on. But to answer your question, I use ChatGPT, of course, such a fantastic tool, fantastic innovation. But I'm really happy that to say every time I needed some help with an algorithm or an implementation, for instance, like, okay, help me with the quaternions or help me with the cross section of a triangular mesh and so on, every time I asked ChatGPT, he was completely wrong. It's so but, yeah, it's really kind of nice to think that, you know, even with my modest skills, I'm on a career stage where ChatGPT cannot help me. Yeah, so your real intelligence is doing better than the artificial intelligence. Uh, I, I will actually, I, while we're talking, actually, I would suggest some of the future courses, you have, I, I don't, maybe you do, you, that you put in a ChatGPT content of how to use it as a tool to help accelerate programming, not to use it completely, but because it's coming. I, I, people are already. Really? Have you seen what Louis Croyer did? He added no. a chat GPT assistant into Napari. And that's nice. And now there's also transformative things like people have made some chat GPT-like interface where you can actually say, make me this program, the AI asks for clarification and generates the code. And then when it's for like everything related to you know web or internet and everything, it's fine. The one thing is that what I see is that for science, scientific things like you know specialized algorithms and so on, maybe they are not that good yet. But it, it, clearly, this will come. Yes, I have no doubt. I will be made obsolete, kind of soonish. It, it is. Get well, no, because you still have to pose the right questions. There's an art to pose the right questions, and then you've got to edit it to make it actually work correct. Because it will never, it's not perfect. And then the heterogeneity in biology will keep it on keep us on our toes and keep us in jobs. Right. Okay, so next quick fire question, Yolives: Are you an early bird or night owl? Early bird. Uh, PC or Mac? Ooh. PC. PC. McDonald's or Burger King? Ah, McDonald's. McDonald's. What's your favorite? What do you get? What's your go-to at McDonald's? Do you have a go-to? Ice cream. Ice cream. 
Okay, that's, that's a good answer. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Chocolate or cheese? Uh, chocolate or cheese? Cheese. Ooh. Beer or wine? Beer. Yeah, I'm a bit disappointed as a French person, I realize. So you've gone to ice cream, to beer, to cheese, to beer. Not, not, not okay, that's good. What, so what is your favorite food? La tartiflette. Oh, okay. And do you cook it yourself? I do cook a lot, actually. I have, you know, two kids and I'm cooking for them. And it's like the, the, the one hobby that you want to do if you want to relax is really cooking, batch cooking in great quantities. Also, I'm, I'm really lucky because I have, fun. sometimes, you know, you don't get positive feedback from your users. Mm -hmm. But for the food, I always get positive feedback so far. <clears throat> I, 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 my my middle son is always the one who always goes, "Oh, it's the best ever, Dad!" Isn't it fantastic? You know, I've only just thought: does that mean that all the other ones have been that bad that that was the best ever? <laughs> Maybe I've been looking at this at the wrong way. <laughs> it's the ability to be grateful. It's fantastic to be near people like this. It is good. What is your uh, least favorite food? Ah. Oh. I think everything, I'm not a great fan of meat, particularly like raw meat or uncooked or unprocessed meat and so on. I would say, uh, sheep, clearly. Yeah. Or rabbit. Okay. Oh, sorry, you caught me on the hop with that answer. I got to think of the next question. But that's a bad joke with rabbits and hopping. Doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> TV or book? Book, 10,000 times book. Book? What, what, what type of books do you read? Oh, anything. Typically, only, almost only fiction. What sort of fiction? Right now, I'm into science fiction. Before that, I was into American literature. It's the, the, this is really the, when I open a book, I'm like, okay, I don't want to work. It must absolutely not be about work and so on. So anything non-scientific. And you said, okay, book or comic? book because you said earlier you're a big fan of comics yeah in france it's uh, it's very good there are a lot of authors that are excellent nowadays and the the, the stories they produce are incredible no nova novator and everything it's if you're into comics right now there's really a good 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 literature to read and so on it's it's passionating but it's also very expensive and it takes really a lot of space imagine a small parisian apartment when it comes to books, you know, you can have everything on your small screen. I, I don't want to say the brands, but you see what I mean. Next question. What's your favorite film? Favorite movie? Magnolia. Sorry? Magnolia. Okay. It's the one by the one of the Pauls Anderson. It's <clears> one of the early movies and so on about you know, meteorology and that kind of things. I really liked it. But and I think I'm one of the only ones to have liked it. Have you seen the latest Spider-Man? Spider no. It's I'm really not a big action. I'm not a really big superhero besides Batman. Forget about it. Forget about all your prejudice against you know, superhero and so on. It's a piece of art. You will have a great time. Regardless of whether you like Spider-Man or not. I, I have to, yeah, I, I, I can watch that with my, my son finished his exams today. So there you go. I can watch that with him and do something with him on that. What's your favorite Christmas film? 
you've got children come on you must have a good christmas film that you like to watch every year yeah actually the harry potter's one harry but oh goodness sake that's awful <laughs> no no oh, come on harry potter is a christmas film okay no okay okay but because the obvious answer would have been you know, the movie with um uh, i think that the movie in english is die hard oh yeah uh, yes good classic proper uh, okay that's controversial but yes i would say it's a christmas film too and we like die hard every christmas okay 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 uh star wars or star trek none none like yeah, I was... like either. yeah 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 the the star trek i never got it to do into it right uh, I think it's really an English thing. But when I talk to uh, talk about it to my to my colleagues, when it, there's someone from Great Britain, it it rings uh, a bell. And the Star Wars is that I'm just not happy with what they did with the story. I I, I was a Next Generation fan. I'm not first and Picard really like that series. The rest, yeah, not not massive. What's your favorite color? I'm the green. I, do you know what? I'm looking at your chair, green. I'm looking at the inside of your bookshelves, green. Some of your post-its notes, going green from being in your window too long, it used to be yellow. It's uh, not a choice. Your plant, green. Everything's green. <laughs> it's, it's kind of cool. I should have guessed that answer. Well, I, what sort of hobbies do you do? When you go back, obviously you like reading. What other things do you do at home? I, I, you sent me a picture of one thing. Do you still do acting? I never did acting. Ah, this is when I was a light technician, actually. Ah, so you light technician at the theatre? Yeah, this is how I meet my, how I met my my future postdoc boss. She was Lady Macbeth, and I was the I was the light technician on this on this production. But the the, the kind of thing I have is that you know every time I I have a hobby or something like this, I'm always more comfortable being on the technical side. And so I've been a single light technician for four years. What you see on the top left is in Paris doing the PhD. And what you see on the bottom right in, is in Dresden. I think like there's Macbeth, uh, Les Fausses Confidences de Marivaux, and this is The Merchant of Venice. Right. So, so and, you were into light back then as well. So it wasn't just sound. It was the lighting as well, you see. It was the lighting at some point the, the, in... Um, Dresden, I was also what is called the stage regisseur. I, I don't know if it's a true word, but I was mainly in charge of the, the scene, the stage. Okay. It's fantastic. It's an incredibly satisfactory hobby. Unfortunately, incompatible with another job. Yes. And I'd imagine quite nerve-wracking because the timing and the importance is, you know, the act is very dependent on you, your timing. And there's a lot of preparation. And typically, if you do the light, you need the night. And so in theory, that would be compatible. You know, you have a day job, and then at night, you do the lights and so on. Unfortunately, one of my favorite hobbies is actually sleeping. <laughs> Even though you're an early bird. Bah, how do you think I can make it? <clears throat> uh, we are nearly up to the hour. I did say it would go really fast. But I have to ask you, you want to be a teacher. You become an exceptionally successful scientist. If, if you could try out any job for a day, what job or a week, what sort of job would you like to sample for a day, a week, whatever it would be, to get a feel for what that job would like to be? I'm pretty happy with the job I have. I'm going to be frank. Again, you know, I was thinking about what you said. So 
And I had this kind of reflection before I became a research engineer. I was working in the Max Planck as a postdoc in the team of Eva Palouan. And there was this, you know, Jakub Kuba Sejinski is very successful. Both of them are incredibly successful. He was a PhD at the time. And so at night, you know, I was, you know, counting cells or whatever. And then Kuba was at the microscope. Sometimes, you know, he would call me and say, Jean-Yves, the microscope doesn't work. And that would make me incredibly happy. I would, you know, run or even roller skate to the elevator, go down to the microscope facility and arrive, you know, Kuba, literally like this, show me what doesn't work. And then, you know, I was at the time, I say, okay, if I have to sample a job for one day, I realized it must be something related to techniques, support, or technology, right? I cannot have a career if I'm only happy when the microscope doesn't work. This would be a mistake. And so honestly, I'm pretty happy with the job I have now. Another job, I, you know, I'm pretty into supporting others. So I would be maybe a majordome. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm just reflecting. It, the reward is less about the results, but actually making someone else happy, giving them what the result the, 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 that they that they not that they need necessarily, but giving them the results and the analysis, and even better if it actually worked. You know, is that so? You are an ultimate support a supporter in the the terms earlier, and to be able to provide that role. That critical co-I supporting role gives you most pleasure more than being your own researcher. We could talk about it for hours, to be honest, but yes, absolutely, right? I have this pattern. The people I work with have this pattern as well. We are uninterested by our own problems. We actually like the problem of others. And this is, it's a job beyond yourself, incredibly rewarding, but you know. And that is a problem in itself. And, and so you so, say, because there'll be people go, well, that's not very aspirational not to have, you know, you can see some academics thinking, well, you should have your own problem. You shouldn't be, but actually, no, from the technologist perspective, it's the application of our skills to solve their problems is the skill. That is the, 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 the expertise that is different to solving one question. We'd, gosh, how boring would it be to answer the same question year in, year out? Think of the diversity we have but it's not simple to be that multi-dimensional. I don't know, but it's pretty rewarding. The, the, okay, so you also touch on something else, right? The, how do you make people with this pattern, this activity and this job fit into a career in academia? Because typically, you know, when you're a PI, you're not evaluated by how many microscopes you can fix, how other people you can help, right? You have to write your own story and so on. This is another reason why it's so, I'm sorry, I'm making too much publicity. No, it's no, no. Great. It's great to work in pasta because the people like me, like we have a dedicated career path. We are evaluated for how useful we are to the scientific community. We are evaluated for the novelty and the usefulness of the tools we produce. You see, this, this is kind of the perfect balance. It, it is, I, 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 I will say, you know, as a young postdoc, there was two places that would attempt to me. One would have been Pasteur through Spencer's influence and what he set up. The other would have been EMBL. At yes. the time, now it's Janelia and Janelia's called. We bumped into each other in Janelia. That was most bizarre. I was there for another meeting and you were there 
doing image analysis <laughs> bumped into each other in Geneva over in the US as one of those odd coincidences but those three places are inspiring places and there's many others they're the three that I was aware of and then York came along and York is uh well York's better I'm sorry it's better than Pasteur definitely <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think I'm really a lucky man, right? I, I, I think you are. I think you've got a good team, not enough staff, but you've got a team that thrive probably on that intensity. Uh, intensity makes you more efficient, would you say? Clearly. Have to. Anyway, we are up over the hour, and I have to say, Yoni, thank you so much for today. I, I hope it's opened anyone who's listening or watching to understand the importance and the potential career path in image analysis. It's not going away, it's getting bigger. And it, how, how long have you had your core for, Yonis? I think it's our uh, fifth year now. So five years, and these things are popping up and growing bigger. Get your, if you're interested in this, get yourself into new BIOS. You know, come and join their community. It's really important. On that, uh, you've heard Stephanie Ott's name, you've heard Rita Strack, you've heard Beth Simony, uh, all people involved uh, with supporting this uh, in many different ways. But Yonis, yourself, you are, I don't think you appreciate how big an influence you are on that whole field. And it's been a pleasure to meet you and I hope everyone's had a pleasure listening to you. Yonis, thank you. Thank you so much, Pete. Thank you for listening to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. To view all audio and video recordings from this series, please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash the microscopists.